0: Don't wait. Visit SonoBello.com slash save. SonoBello.com slash save. SonoBello.com slash save. You're listening to the X Zone radio show live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Visit us online at www.xzone radio.com. A place where fact is fiction, and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Everybody likes a celebration Happy music and conversation
1: be like if I said I didn't have the blues In the corner there's a couple dancing From the kitchen I can hear them laughing Oh I wish I was celebrating too
0: Welcome back to The Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Now, Hamilton is right on the shores of Lake Ontario between the city of Toronto and Niagara Falls, Ontario. And I'll tell you something. We are smack dab in the middle of the Great Lakes Triangle. 1-877-528-8255 is toll free. My email address is xzone at xzoneradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and xzonetv.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. And uh, Dr. Humphrey has degrees in physics from Oberlin and he has a degree in philosophy from the University of Washington, Seattle. He spent 10 years in academia at the USC, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State, 20 years in computer science. He retired at the early age of 55 to devote himself to full-time philosophy and physics. He is the author of Whole Earth, Inner Space, which was published in 1973, Revelations on the Nameless One in 1982, and A Science of Civilization in 2002, Jumping Light Years in 2003, and UFOs, PSI, and Spiritual Evolution in the year 2004. And Dr. Chris Humphrey, welcome back to the x How are you, sir?
1: Well, I'm good. How do I sound? You sound, you sound great. Well, good. Sometimes, you know, the... Uh these songs don't work the way
0: they're Well, you're sounding great tonight, and thank you very much for joining us. Now, I understand when you were a young gentleman at the age of ten, you saw a UFO. Yes,
1: that's right.
0: Sure. And, and I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of a of a description of what you saw and how you felt.
1: Okay. Uh, I grew up on a farm mm-hmm. in north central Oklahoma and I happened to be outside. It was just after sundown, but the light, you know, was still full light. Mm-hmm. You know, the summer <clears throat> sunset. And my, my younger brother and my mother were in the house. My older brother and my father were in the barn. So mm-hmm. I was the only person outside. Okay. So, what I saw coming up over the trees to the west of me was a thing that looked like a meteorite. It was It it was pitted. There was a kind of greenish aura around it. Mm -hmm. It was burning up. But the only problem with that hypothesis was that it was traveling horizontally at a very slow speed, about 15 miles an hour or less, and making absolutely no noise. Doctor,
0: please stand by. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Interesting story. The age of 10, he saw a UFO. And um, we're going to continue this conversation with our guest this hour, Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is Are you all ready for this? interstellar-travel.com. This is the Exxon live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away.
1: It's written
0: in the moonlight, we're painted on the stars, we can change ours. Don't give up on us, babe, we're still worth one. Welcome back to the X-Hone. Our very special guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is www.interstellar-travel.com dot com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Uh, doctor, before we went on the commercial break, we you were telling us that you were outside uh, when you saw this meteorite, but it wasn't traveling the right direction, and it was slow, and it was making no sound. Yes, that's
1: right. But it was, obviously, uh, well, guided. It was. Guided spacecraft, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously disguising itself as a meteorite. Now, this thing was seen all over Oklahoma and Texas it was in the papers the next day. And they universally described it as a meteorite. And in fact, if you saw it from some distance, that could actually be a plausible explanation. But this one came right over my head yeah. at a, a high speed and then make made a sharp right-angle turn. It came out of the west and it went off to the south. <clears throat> and it did not communicate to me in any way, uh, had no effect on me in any way, but I knew that this was something I wasn't going to be able to talk about to anyone. So I kept it secret for about 30 or 40 years.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, it wasn't until I started writing these books decided I would confess to some of the experiences
0: that I have had
1: of the paranormal. I can tell you another one if you would like. Oh yes please. I have personally abhorted. I you know what an aport is, right? Yes. Okay, I personally afforded, not deliberately, but inadvertently. I was I climbed up on my roof, which is the foolish thing to do for an old man like me. And I <laughs> started to get down, and my foot slipped, mm-hmm. and I was just on my way down onto some sharp spikes of the wire fence, and suddenly, uh, in an instant, I was dressed out prone, just about an inch or two off the ground, which was sort of wet and muddy and you know, soft. Right. And that's how I fell. didn't have, you know, not a bone broken or a... Bruce, and that reminded me of Yuri Geller's inadvertent uh, abort. Yes. Thirty miles. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you probably read about this, right?
0: Yes. In fact, uh, Yuri has been on the show uh, many times, and he's discussed that with us.
1: Oh, great! Yeah. that's fine. I, I'm glad to find someone <laughs> who knows something about Yuri.
0: Yes. No. He's a, he's a very good friend of mine.
1: That's, that's great. That is great. Yeah, I've corresponded with him by email, but that's, you know, as far as it goes. He, he, he's,
0: he's, he's slightly ahead of his time, but I believe that his time is now and uh, people are finally starting to understand what the man's about.
1: Right, right, I think so. I hope so. I mean, if we just get rid of the noxious skeptics, or I've heard that in a different way, but...
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, well, thank you, uh, thank you for putting it so delicately on this family show, sir. <laughs> yes, that's right.
1: That's right. Well, let's see, I've also seen something called table tipping at a party.
0: Oh, yeah, table tipping, yes.
1: A lot of people have done this. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, widely known as a, as a party,
0: a parlor trick.
1: A parlor trick, yeah. And of course, the illusionist would say, "Well, it's pretty obvious how that." And they could come up with several different ways that an illusionist could could deal with it. But here you're dealing with <clears throat> a bunch of farm kids mm-hmm. who have never seen an illusionist. And it was just an ordinary card table. I helped put it up, you know, and fold the legs,
0: yeah.
1: put it on the rug. Mm-hmm. And I was also the skeptic, you know, crawling around underneath make sure no one was lifting it with a knee or something. Yeah looking at people's fingers because if you push down hard you can actually pull it so it tips up. Mm -hmm. But no one was doing that. We were all following instructions, just lightly touching the table. It took a long time to get it going. It just seemed like forever because we were all just concentrating enormously. And it just, you know, it seemed like, well, it seemed like eternity. But finally, once it started tipping, went wild. You know, it was, well, we, for instance, we asked it how many days there were until Christmas, and it started tipping very quickly 25 times. By the way, that was the wrong answer. <laughs> in fact, many of the answers it gave were wrong. Um, it seemed only to only get the right answer if someone in the room knew the correct answer. But when we asked it to prophesy the uh, outcome of basketball games that we were yet to play, I you know, didn't get any of those right,
0: but you know it was just the phenomenon itself Oh, by the way, exonation uh table tipping is not like cattle tipping at all uh one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free dr. Chris Humphrey is our very special guest and um Dr. Humphrey, what started your quest into into investigating? UFOs, uh, interstellar travel, forbidden sciences.
1: I really believe it was that experience when mm-hmm. I was about ten, seeing the, the UFO. That was in 1950. And you know, if you have an
0: I think it's a matter of programming, personally. Because well, that may
1: be just another name for it. Yeah. But, but, yeah, they're definitely programmed, and, and it's a credo. You know, it's like a religious belief. Yes, it is. And in the academic world, it's a credo that if you break, you'll lose your job. That so happened to someone I, I knew out in Los Angeles, Dr. Selma Moss, who wrote a very interesting phenomena, and she she studied lots of stuff. She had little local TV programs back in the 1960s when she was active. But you know, the, the, her friends kept warning her she shouldn't be studying this stuff because she'd lose her job. And finally, she did, and she wasn't able to get another one. So she went into show business. <laughs> But uh, I don't really know the rest of her life story from that point.
0: How do UFOs travel to the stars, Doctor? What's your theory?
1: Uh, Levitation and apportation. I mean, I think that they... The reason I think it's levitation for those low and slow trips Mm -hmm. across the landscape without any noise and without any kind of a rocket is because that's exactly how things levitate in our experience. And, and I, Yuri Geller has probably told you of the many times when, in his presence, things started levitating and apporting themselves all over the place. Yeah. And it's always very silent. That's you know a characteristic thing of both the UFO and the apport, and also of the UFOs. I repeat them like but whatever. <laughs> okay so the other reason is that given the requirements of sun planets, moon, metallicity and age of the system, uh, systems planets like us, like ours mm-hmm. have to be at least four or five billion years old. Have to be singlets, or most most planetary systems are doublets or triplets of stars. So they have to be very far apart, like maybe thousands of light years. And yet, there's reasons which I will probably be giving you in in a moment for thinking that they can travel here instantly and be home in time for supper. You know. Even if they live a thousand light years away,
0: how would they do that? that? That seems impossible to our way of thinking.
1: It does, but then the uh, porch also seems impossible, and I can tell tell you from my own personal experience, it takes no energy. You know, it doesn't leave you tired, mm-hmm. it's effortless. In fact, it's so effortless that I didn't even get very excited about it as you know a significant experience. I read about Yuri's thirty mile airport and I go, Well, you know, I did something like that. <laughs> and uh, so if you can afford ten feet, I think if you've got the nerve and you you know, you've got the experience, you can abort a thousand light years just to be it.
0: It's just a matter of concentration and uh, willpower then.
1: And and experience, you know, a lot yeah. of We are a young species of humanoid, you know, and we can already do kind of baby forms of Mm -hmm. phenomenal towers. So what we will be able to do in 100,000 years, I think, if we survive, you know, as (laughs) a species, we might learn to control all these towers if we also learn to control the dark side of our nature, you know, we quit having wars, and, uh, you know, financial collapses, murder, rape, and all
0: that sort of stuff. All the negative things in this humanistic life of ours. Please stand by, Dr. Humphrey. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. exonation Nation, our special guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is wwwinterstellar travel Dot com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. And the news as the x continues on the Talk Star Radio Network. If you'd like to give us a call and ask the good doctor a question, lines are open at 1-877-528-8255. The x with yours truly, Rob McConnell, returns on the other side of this news break. As we continue on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. All the bad news? Well, then take a break from the worries of the world and play the love game. It's time to focus on what is really important in our lives, our relationships. You deserve more love, happiness, and harmony in your life. Synchro Hearts is the new hot relationship game that guarantees more love, laughter and romance for you and your partner. It's not a sex game, it's a love game based on all the important relationship stuff like better communication, more intimacy, and lots of fun and excitement. Great intimacy is just one of the benefits of playing Synchro Hearts. Now President Obama inspires hope, love and peace for the world. Synchro Hearts offers more hope, love and harmony for relationships. To order your very own edition of Synchro Hearts, visit Synchro Hearts' website now at www.synchrohearts.com. That's www.synchrohearts.com. Synchro Hearts, it's the game you love to play and play to love. Chris Humphrey is my special guest this hour, www.interstellar-travel.com. That's interstellar-travel.com. Uh, Dr. Humphrey, how do we... Can you me... something here? Sure.
1: Um, that uh, site has my blog on it,
0: and it also has
1: a number of complete books. Uh, some of them by me, some of them long out of print, but really important classics. So there's a lot of stuff on that site. I wanted to bring
0: that up. All right, and that's at www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey, how do we know star-traveling humanoids really exist, and, and have they visited Earth in the past?
1: Yes, they certainly have. And the best evidence for their, their existence landed UFOs with the the inhabitants, you know, standing around Mm -hmm. or poking around outside. Like one of the typical cases that happened very early, in fact, it happened in July of 1947, just about two weeks after Roswell, Professor Johannes, a well-known academic in Europe, was doing his alpine walking in Friuli farthest northeast section of Italy, and there's a you know, high mountain valley, and he broke through some trees and was amazed to see this bright red disc stuck in the side of the mountain. <laughs> and so <clears throat> he saw some boys off the distance, so he started running in their direction, some kind of you know, fluttering incoherently mm-hmm. about what this could possibly be. And he got up to them and he realized they weren't boys at all. They were little men wearing overalls and sort of helmets, not space helmets, but, you know, cloth helmets. And they were green. (laughs) Green. Little green men. Well, they were kind of a a dark, earthy green. Mm -hmm. So so this may be the origin of the little green men story. Right. Right. Especially since it happened so early. And the the only interaction they had between each other was that one of them became interested in his walking stick, which is one of those alpine walking sticks that has an ice mm-hmm. hammer on you know as the handle. Yep. And so they temporarily paralyzed him somehow. <clears throat> I think using some sort of powder, and they took his walking stick. And off they went up into the the UFO, and it took off out of the mountain with you know boulders flying every which way, but no damage to the ship. And you know it put, got itself horizontal, hovered there for a minute, and that was gone. And this this is a, one of the cases that is well described in a, one of my classic favorite books about UFOs called The Humanoid. Charles Bowen is the editor, and I think it's, here's the whole title. Okay. Survey of Worldwide Reports of Landings of Unconventional Aerial Objects and Their Occupants. And it's a a collection of articles by different ufologists, you know, it's not just one scholar. Charles Bowen, Gordon Creighton, Amy Michelle, Coral Lorenzen, Antonio Rivera, and Jacques Ballet. And that is the classic book. We have that. Now, the reason why this is so scientifically important is because it instantly rules out things like swamp gas, you know, or Venus, or an, un- or an unconventional military aircraft made here on Earth. All those things are just totally ruled out. The only thing it could be is a flight. You know, it could be an interstellar spacecraft. There's there's no other option left.
0: What about interdimensional?
1: Well, yeah, okay, that's, well, I'll allow that. Okay. I guess we can't rule that out. In fact, when you think about it, apportation almost has involved some kind of interdimensional travel. That's That's right, yeah. I wonder what Yuri thinks about that. Well, you well, might ask him next time he comes
0: on. Well, I'll tell you what, the next time I have him on, I'll bring you on as well.
1: Well, good. I would I would love to talk to him from from here, of course. Of course. Okay, so I would say that just just these studies in this book, The Humanoid, should prove to any skeptic mm-hmm. that we have been visited by hundreds of different species of humanoids. They're all humanoids. You know, they're they're different sizes, different colors, different degrees of hairiness, but some of them are so much like us that in the Antonio Diaz case in Brazil where he was sort of um, grabbed and taken into the spacecraft bodily (laughs) by the whole crew of them, one of them female, anyway, they, they sort of uh, sprayed him down, cleaned him up <clears throat> inside and out, and introduced him to the female crew member, naked. And he was naked also. And, well, of course, the result was intercourse, which he enjoyed. He, the only thing he didn't like was their manner of speech, which sounded like barking dogs.
0: Yeah, that's happened to me once or twice.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's that's terrible. (laughs) Uh, But otherwise, he enjoyed it. But the thing is that this was a species so close to us Mm -hmm. biologically that they could actually be human. That somehow branched off into an interstellar phase thousands of years ago by some unknown means.
0: Well, is it it possible, Doctor, that... The, the interstellar species that we are talking about here uh, were actually the angels or the Nephilim that were dep- that were talked about in the Bible as well as the the um, the the gods that were talked about in Greek mythology
1: yeah I mean all those things are, are certainly possible and they, they really could pass as humans mm-hmm. except they were a little smaller than we are they were about the size of pygmy now Antonio voice Boas um, was also fairly short, right. about five feet tall. And Papa this girl was about um, almost five feet tall. So you know they they were similar. But yeah, I, I don't like to. <clears throat> I mean I have too much of a tendency to wander off on the tangents anyway. <laughs> so I didn't uh, I didn't get into the to fill in the film and
0: all that stuff in this book but you know when you, when you start reading the the tales of Greek mythology and compare them to the biblical accounts of, of angels uh, it, they parallel for example God lives in heaven on high and the Greek gods lived atop of Mount Olympus all deities descended and in Greek mythology you have uh you have hercules who certainly had um, more than mere mortal powers and who was the 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 uh the product of a god with a mortal in the christianity you have jesus who was able to do more than any other mortal could who was once again the product of a deity and a and a human
1: right <clears throat> well all I can say is that all that is possible yeah no
0: now why is it necessary for star travelers
1: mm.
0: and spiritual that op-
1: is a hard question I mean that's a difficult thing but it's at the center of my latest book UFO science Virtual evolution. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that it all centers around Fermi's paradox. <coughs> Excuse me. This was Enrico Fermi, who helped build the atomic bomb. Italian physicist. And he simply asked, I mean, the people around the table were talking about UFOs and so forth. And he just said,
0: Doctor, you're starting to fade out on us.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I shall either talk louder or maybe I can turn up the volume on this thing. Is that better?
0: Much better. Thank you.
1: If I get any worse, I'll go try the other phone.
0: No, this this is fine.
1: Okay. Anyway, he said, "If there really are ETs, why haven't they invaded Earth?" And, you know, he was sort of assuming that if there really were ETs, they would behave the way we do. Ah. But my theory is that you cannot become a star traveler or indeed maintain any high level of these paranormalist powers Mm -hmm. if you have not also undergone a great degree of spiritual evolution. And that's kind of the, uh, the point of view of the yogis, too. They say that, you know, of course they don't concentrate on that, getting those powers, those rishis, I think they call them. But they say that if you want to get them, you first have to be spiritually evolved. You have to develop your, your mind and soul as well as your body. And I think... That's why we, there are no Star Wars. There will never be an attack on Earth like Independence Day or anything like that. All the stuff that the, the stock and trade of science fiction writers is all impossible. It's all baloney. It will never happen. Mm-hmm. It has never happened. I mean, there's no evidence of any past invasion of Earth by otherworldly creatures. I know of, and so that's the answer to the Fermi paradox. It's a paradox only if you think that if they're ETs, they they must behave the same way we do. But we are a nasty, brutish, violent, primitive society.
0: Yes, we are.
1: We, We will have to outgrow that before we will ever be able to go to the stars.
0: And you know what, Doctor? I think that we're on the right track.
1: I think so, too.
0: I have a lot of faith in, uh, in mankind. Tell me, Doctor, what are the forbidden sciences, and why are they forbidden?
1: Well, there's the study of psychical phenomena. hmm There's the study of UFO phenomena. There's Toynbeean history. That's one that probably not too many people know anything about. There's something that can either be called Empirical metaphysics or just the science of spirituality, that might be a better term. And finally, utopian analysis. So there are five of them. And the reason they're all forbidden from universities, from the major media, uh, forbidden <clears throat> in our worldview is because they are not compatible with our worldview. So we would have to Open up our minds and be willing to accept uh, a new world view. And I think that's really the essence of intelligence. Intelligence is the ability to learn from experience, no matter how much it may contradict everything you've been told. And many people cannot do that; they just cannot do it. In my family, there are a bunch of academics, a bunch of very smart people, and. Only one of them has any openness at all to this kind of thing, and you know, not because they're stupid, but just because they have. You get, the worldview gives you an idea of what is possible and what is impossible, and so if you're brought up in the reductionist, materialistic worldview, you think everything is, happens by cause and effect mm-hmm. or chance, and everything reduces atom space right that's the reductionist credo and you break it at your peril you want to be an academic uh, scientist or if a philosopher or anything you want to be in the, in the academy and get grants and things like that doctor
0: stand by you and i have to take our final break doctor chris Humphreys, my special guest this hour excellent nation www.interstellar-travel.com. Not only is that his blog address, but there are many books, incomplete books, that are at that site as well. I'll be back on the other side of this break, right here on Talkstar.
1: Hey,
0: hello there, I'm Victor. Things you never do, but I wish some somebody... Dr. Chris Humphrey is our special guest this hour, www.interstellar-travel.com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey, is there such a thing as life after death, and how do we know there is?
1: Yes, there is, certainly. And we know it from the near-death experience studies, of which there are many. Mm-hmm. probably read a lot of them, and so have I. And... Even more strongly, we know it from the proof of reincarnation of the late Professor Ian Stevenson of the University of Virginia. And what he did was to travel, by the way, he had the advantage all his working life of having a patron, a guy who, a millionaire, the guy who invented the Xerox process, mm-hmm. with Carlson. And he put up millions all through. Stevenson's had a life to support his extensive research, first on young children who begin to talk about a previous lifetime as soon as they learn to talk, and secondly, about people who in a very deep trance can speak languages and dance dances and so forth that they don't know or cannot do consciously. That's called responsive xenoglossy. Now, Stevenson is a very rigorous guy, very cautious, never wrote any any popularizations of his books. Mm-hmm. He only gave one interview. And if you do a, a Google on Ian Stevenson, you can find that, that one interview, which probably explains his ideas better than anything. But the point is that if you read technical monograph, like 20 cases suggestive of reincarnation. And you really look at the details and they're all in there because this is not a, a book for the hoi polloi. This is a technical monograph. And he comes to the last chapter and he shows that every single hypothesis you can think of to explain these things can be ruled out by one thing or another in these different cases. Ten the 20 cases. That's 20 out of several hundreds that he had at the time. <clears throat> and he probably had thousands of such cases in his library by the time he died. <clears throat> so, in my opinion, Stevenson was the Galileo of the last century. I mean, someday he will be, he will rule as the greatest scientist of that century, not Einstein, because We're much more interested in life after death than we are in relativity.
0: Dr. Humphrey, we have just run out of time for tonight. I do want to thank you so much for joining us. Always great talking to you. And I look forward to the next time when you and I meet here in the X Zone. Great.
1: Great. Good night, doctor.
0: Take care of yourself now, and thanks again. Good night, sir. www.interstellar-travel.com. Now, when I come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, I'll be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove as the exome continues right here on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.